you know, we thought we were prepared because we talked about it so much that we might get that phone call. Yeah, you're never prepared for that phone call. I, I was just in a state of shock. I, I, I knew it had happened, but I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't. This is my This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Such an honor to be here today um, with the Heatons, with Chris and with Cliff. You know, what a what a part of the story of Good Landing, of just God's plan to to help so many people. Your family has played such a big, big role in that, specifically your son Cliff. You know, it was interesting is is I've told the the story many times since we've started. And um, and I'll never forget the, the co-founder, Bobby Humphrey, coming to me one time and and he, and he told me, he just said there was a there was a time where, you know, I'd gotten real excited about launching Good Landing and just the thoughts of what it might be. But I also there was this tension about leaving what was comfortable and the job that I had and providing for my family and, and I was really wavering. And it was about that time that you know, that I got the news that little Cliff had, had passed away. And I knew at that point that, you know, God just used that in a profound way in my life. You know, and he told me, he said it was at that point was when I, I finally was willing to make the leap. And so to be here with y'all today in Atlanta and have the opportunity to be able to hear your story, I mean, it's a privilege. I just can't emphasize that enough. And, you know, so many people, I mean, I think at this point, tens of thousands of people have, have been impacted by Little Cliff's life, but have not, but, but, but haven't met him. And so if, you know, if you wouldn't mind just, just talking to us about, about him. I'd love to start. Um, Little Cliff came in this world smiling. He um, was always happy, had the cutest curls on his head, and um, he loved everyone. He was he was so easy to raise. He loved his family. He loved his sisters. He was just an easy child. When he got in school, he minded. He had good manners. Um, he really didn't get in a lot of trouble. He he was a little um, mischievous sometimes, um, but it was always we always thought it was funny because it was the funny kind of mischievous. He was great in high school, and everyone loved him. He was Mr. Got was up for Mr. Lee, and he got most popular. You know, the, the trouble with him really came his senior year. We weren't aware of it until, um, I would think, wouldn't you say his probably his, the end of his senior year? The, I'd, they, I'd, say, I'd say the end of his senior yeah. year, we, we became concerned about yeah, we were, things we were, that we were seeing. Which we, was a shock to us because we felt like we were the all-American perfect family, and we had talked to our children about drugs, and we knew he drank but we had no earthly idea that drugs were a part of his life and to the extent that they were. And it was, it was a huge shock to us and to our girls. And then to find out after he went to college um, his freshman year how, in, how involved he was with them. You know, he, I, I remember when, uh, you know, when I think back on Cliff, I, you know, I think about, you know, we talk about him being the perfect child, and, and he was the perfect child in our mind. He he was not what I would call the greatest athlete in the world. Uh, he loved golf. He, golf was his but name. he but he was but he he wanted to excel at whatever he tried. Uh, he 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 was he was an excellent golfer. The, the point I wanted to make he he was the he was the kid that everybody loved, uh, even though he wasn't uh, a star athlete. Uh, he he was the kind of kid that the the fans would cheer uh, when the team was winning the game. They they would they would cheer out. We want Cliffy. Yeah, yeah, we want Cliffy. Uh, I, I you know, say, I wouldn't say he was, I didn't really think he was a good basketball player. Well, he, he wasn't really a good basketball. Player. But but he but he he loved being out there with the guys and he loved playing and and the and, he loved and being all, on the team and all the uh, all the all the students and all the parents you know loved. Loved it when he got to go out there on the, on the court. You know, he was just that kind of kid. He, you know, he would go out there with a smile. He loved but his that, friends. He loved that, being with his friends. That yeah. was a big deal to him. He really loved his friends. Yeah, that that was who Cliff was. I think that personifies him so much that they didn't want him out there because he was a good player and because he needed time. They just wanted him out there because they loved him. And and that's who he was. And and he had, he had a great high school 
time. He he had the time of his life. It was it was a good constructive time. But towards towards the end of the senior year, you know, there were there were mood swings. There were things that we as parents noticed that just didn't seem quite right. And you know, we buried our head in the sand about it. Um, I guess to an extent, you know, Cliff Cliff did like to. He liked to go out with the kids. He he, you know, he liked to drink beer with the kids on Friday and Saturday nights. And we knew he was going to be around it. Uh, we taught him to always be mindful. He was just a he was just a kid that liked to have a good time with his friends. He never took it to excess. But then something happened his his senior year. Uh, a latter part of his senior year, uh, some of the kids started doing some things. You know, a little bit of drugs and. So it kind of infiltrated like through through the friend group. So this was. I think it started in our medicine cabinet. Uh, I think it started um, in our medicine cabinet. I had some pain pills from when I had Lucy. Um, you know, she was ten years younger than he was, and I just kept in my medicine cabinet. I had a ton left over, yeah. and from what he told us later, it started taking the pain pills and going out with his friends and on Friday night and taking those and drinking. Later, when we would go to certain rehabs, they would say, it starts in your medicine cabinet. That's where these kids get them. And I asked him, and I was shocked that that's where it started, was in our medicine cabinet. Well, I, it, I do think, I think that, that marijuana came into it first in, in high school, and that's what we detected. And then at some point, somebody probably told him, don't your parents have some pills? You know, you ought to grab them, something like that. Gotcha, yeah, that makes sense. And then it went from there. But so, and up until that point, you know, family dynamics, I mean, because, you know, there's so many stereotypes out there, you know, and you just think, okay, well, somebody that's addicted to drugs or they get addicted to opioids, that at some level the stigma is lifted, but a lot of times you're thinking, okay, this is, this is inner city, this only happens to, you know, latchkey kid, but I mean, y'all had, I mean, I mean, family dynamics, I mean, nothing that obviously resembled that. And, you know, do you see, notice any kind of deep insecurities that you think we should have been a driver of, of any of that? No, I, I think, I think it was simply a result of him getting exposed to smoking marijuana and he tried it and he probably, he probably liked it somewhat. Uh, and I think that going to college, and associating with the group that he associated with from the very beginning, I think that was his downfall. Yeah, I think that had he gone possibly to another college, bonded with another group of friends, because Cliff was always good about picking good friends. He did. He 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 didn't pick bad kids. He he picked good kids to run with. They were his friends. They were a part of our life. They, they you know his friends in high school spent all their time over at our house where they'd go with us to the lake or we'd go to the hunting camp or they were part of our lives and they were good kids uh, but when he got to college he just made a completely new set of friends and, and we never really saw him we had to make an effort to call him I mean he we'd call him but we'd go over there and he would be busy and it was really we started wondering then He'd he be wouldn't busy. show up. He wouldn't show up for at the Grove, or he wouldn't show up for dinner. Just red flags started happening. I see. But we had still had really didn't know what was going on. We 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 because we, we didn't think it was happening. Yeah, I think I think I think the uh, the proof of the pudding came for us when his grades came in at the end of his freshman year, mm. and they were horrendous. And we did and, a drug test, and we did a drug test at that point, and he tested positive for cocaine. We confronted him about it. We we didn't confront it as strongly as we should have. Um, I, I, that's, that's a regret that I have that we didn't aggressively accept the fact that he was fooling with things that he should not be fooling with. You know, this has gone beyond the point of partying and drinking beer and doing this kind of stuff on weekends and that kind of thing. This was using... This was using cocaine. And let me back up. He came home his um, freshman summer. He was so thin. Mm. And people started saying things to me like, Cliff is, little Cliff is so thin. I said, I know he's thin. So we 
got a physical. We took him to the doctor and had a physical. And, and that, that's, that's actually... when we fit, figured out because we had said something might be going on because hmm. the grades were bad and he was thin. So that was the first when we really started getting yeah. involved. But as a family, I mean, you're just thinking, I mean, you know, heavy partying. I mean, all that stuff that comes along with the scene. Majority of kids are going to pull out of it, you know, even if they go over their freshman year and get a little yeah, wild. Great girlfriend, too, who we love. We still talk to her. Just a wonderful girl. Um, you know, we absolutely we thought we thought that it was something that was controllable, that was going to, uh, he was going to turn the bend just like, you know, we, we would convince ourselves that's what so many other kids have done. They go over there, they mess up on grades their freshman year. They get a good scolding from their parents, you know, take some, take some privileges away from them, uh, cut the bank account off, those kind of things. That, that didn't happen. Uh, we, uh, you know, we, we did the, the type things that we thought were appropriate, but, but it, it did not deter him from liking the life that he was living. He was hanging with a group of people that were – encouraging his behavior uh he became involved in in selling drugs at one point during his uh sophomore year and he and and i think to him that was a thrill and i think i think the combination of that plus his natural addiction towards drugs alcohol whatever you want to call it uh, those two things combined to really be the beginning of the downfall for him. Yeah. So it's so as this starts to unfold, I mean, you realize at that point, I mean, this is not this isn't just kind of a normal thing that he's going to pull out of the genetic predisposition. I mean, like the the thing is in motion now. You've got three daughters. You have a family that you know by. You know, anybody looking from the outside in would just say if there was if you could say this is this is the perfect family. I mean, just the life that that everybody would dream out of like what like those dynamics at that point, like what what happens in the family at that point? Well, I, I you know, I think in, in our minds, our oldest daughter, Katie, saw what was going on kind of at a distance. She was. Uh, they, were, she, they, were the, they were eighteen months apart. So. They were eighteen months apart, so and they were they were extremely close, and she, and and she suspected what was going on, and as she suspected it more and more, and we did, it created a rift between her and between Cliff because it was it was she didn't one understand. I mean, yeah. she, why can't why can't you quit? That's right. You know, it was it was. Gotta, why is he doing this? I mean, I'm, I need to talk to him. It, it, it was before, one life. It was, this is when we just kind of talked to him and said, I, we think he's doing drugs. I mean, we shared it with him. And it, and it, was, it was his lifestyle against the lifestyle that all of our other kids had been exposed to. And, and of course, Katie was the, she was the one that suffered the most because she was the older, older daughter. She was so close to him. And, and she was so hurt that he was doing this to our family. Lucy was at home in the first grade when this started, and she watched it until the 12th grade. And she watched the, our emotions. She watched everything that went on, and she lived that life. Oh, I, I agree with that. I, I, re, I was really referring to that time frame, his freshman and sophomore years in college. Here's when everybody's kind of figuring it out. Everybody, I think everybody was kind of figuring it out. And, 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 and she was over at school with him. So she was kind of figuring some things out too. Oh, so she's she started. This play he, out. She heard something. She heard a few things and um, told us, and we we're like, "Oh no, um, something is going on. This is not just hearsay with Katie." And we were putting the puzzles together. But you, you know, and and I, I look back and and I think the thing that that I just can't believe that we did. Uh, Cliff got he got caught uh, using a friend's taking a friend's uh, check and going to Walmart and forging the check. One of our very closest friends. One of of our closest friends and his his closest friends, a young young girl, and he he forged her check and he he bought drug paraphernalia things. And 
course, they, they found out that he had done it. We saw the video, and we actually saw the things that he bought. And for the life of me, I can't believe that I didn't finally wake up and say this kid is a drug addict, he is a drug seller, and this is going bad. We convinced ourselves that it was still going to be okay. That, that to me, was the, was the biggest mistake that we ever made with him was when that happened that we didn't take some real affirmative action. I see. Because it was, it was apparent. It, this, this was no longer speculation. This was no longer uh, a pipe dream that we had that our kid was messing up. It, it was black and white. And, and we as parents – you know, always believing in your kid and always trying to find the bright, bright side to everything. We even threw that under the table. Was there something going on? Because, I mean, I'm just thinking of the tens of thousands of parents who are probably in the situation right now, you know, kids, freshmen over at UGA or wherever, Ole Miss, State, and the, the handwriting is, is, is really on the wall. I mean, is, is there this sense of just the, the stigma that's attached to it of I just don't want my kid going to treatment or him to get labeled and we're going to work through it and get him to pull out of that it like so we know. Hard. That was so hard to just pull him out of school, pull him out of his fraternity, go back home after you take him to rehab and just leave the house. And then just think too about your child. My child is in rehab. He, I want him to finish school. I want Lil Cliff to have the opportunities you know, it, it, it was horrible. That was just devastating. Yes, it was very. It that is, that's real. Yeah, that, that, that is, is real. That's that is that, that is that sends you into a deep dark hole, and you're and of course you're you're worried about him. They won't let you talk to him for two weeks. He doesn't have a phone, and you're thinking in your mind, does he really need to be there? Yeah. And of course, when we call him, the first thing he says to us. Uh, Mom, you got to get me out of here. I'm in here with a bunch of drug addicts. Yeah. We're like, well, I think <laughs> you, you might be mistaken. Uh, yeah. I think you might be. That one was kid. a humorous moment that night. Yeah. <laughs> we we even understood the reality of where he was. And, really? You know. How long would it be from the time that you you discovered you know that that you know addiction was there to his his first treatment center? The second drug test. We went His, over. We did a drug test that summer, and then we decided to drug test him again because of some bizarre behavior. Bizarre behavior, and, and that was that was in January of his sophomore year, and we had laid the law down, and we had told him unequivocally that if he used drugs again, and we told him that we were going to test him and check him, and we told him if he did it again that we were going take action and put him in a, in a rehab facility somewhere. You know, we, we didn't know whether that was really the right way to go about it or not. We didn't know if he truly needed rehab or if he needed more guidance or if he needed to go to a different school. But I guess at that point we were tired of taking the easy approach, so we went with the hard approach. Yeah. which is. And we were talking to people. We were getting professional help. You know, we just we felt like with all the information that we had gotten at that point, that that was really our only alternative. You know, we we didn't know where to send him. Uh, you know, we picked a place, and and I even remember when he was down there after two or three weeks, the counselor said, you know, we really don't understand why your son is here, and and I, I never really understood why. They didn't know at that point because it wasn't. It was very shortly after that that they drug tested him, or his drug test. Maybe his drug test came back, and it was positive for five or six different drugs. Raised by probably some gifted communicators, and also just you know, and just having just that 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 factor that everybody loved him, and you know, I think too that that's a hard thing with with somebody's eighteen, nineteen years old, and there's no physical symptoms. You know, and then that's that's why, you know, whenever you're in there, I mean, I, I remember that 18 years old and I'm sitting there and some guys telling me, hey, I've lost, you know, three. I've ruined three marriages. I've lost, you know, four homes. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, what what in the world is he even talking about? And and, and Cliff Cliff was such a he was, it, you know, I'm going back to the fact that 
in our minds. He was such a great kid. I, I'll never forget when we dropped him off. It was about 10.30 that night, and a, a young lady came out to admit him and to talk to us. And when he was going into the, the treatment center, I just remember how polite and how nice he was to that girl. She, I think she offered to carry his bag, and he said, no, let me carry that. It's too heavy for you to carry. That's he, after they had searched it and everything. And he, and then he said, wait a minute, I have something to do. And he walked over to us, and he said, Mom, I love you, and thank you. And he walked over to Cliff and thanked him. Of course, you know, that tore us up. I mean, it was just... Yeah. In his heart, he knew he was doing wrong. It hadn't gotten to the point. You know, it had, after the 10 years of rough addiction, but... He knew it was wrong, and he knew. He knew we were doing yeah. what we we what our family values had uh, had had always told us to do, which is you know, drugs are just a they're just something that's not going to be a part of our lives, and it's it's for a good reason. It's it's because you know he they knew will. We were disappointed. And, yeah, he that's and right. Worried, I, we knew he, we were worried. He was all he doesn't ever want to. Don't worry, mom. I'm going to be okay. He never wanted us to worry about him, and he and he never wanted to disappoint us. And Those were two things that night. I think he could was written all over our face. We yeah, were, and I think over the years, I think the disappointment aspect uh, got to be really a, a a bigger and bigger thing to him as time went on, because he was watching his friends graduate. He was watching his friends get married, have children, and he was spending all of his time in and out of rehabs. And he knew that. He knew how much it disappointed us. Of course he was it, disappointed himself, too. He, yeah. he didn't like, he, we, we had coffee every morning, and he, he told me one day, he said, I'm just so depressed and I'm so unhappy. And he said, I don't want to be this way. This is not the way I want to be. He said, I, he said I'm so jealous of Katie. And he, and he told Katie that. He said, I want children. I want a wife. He said, I want a life. So that was, that was going into the first treatment center. And then this would go on for ten years. Going for right at ten years. How and just? I, th- I think I think we probably went to nine or ten. It was ten treatment ten, centers. Yeah. Uh, we years. we tried every type of center. We were desperate for anything and yeah. would do anything. And there wasn't as much information out there in the beginning about treatment centers. It, it was really hard to find good information because parents that had dealt with it, a lot of parents we talked to really didn't want to talk about it. They they just didn't want to act like it had happened to their kids. Mm. Uh, you know, we we were we searching were pretty much an open book about it too. We just just I, we really didn't decide. We just talked about it. If anyone asked, we told them where he was, and we just even the girls we just did not hide it at all. We were I, very open about yeah, it. Yeah, I can remember which when, made it e- it did make it easier in the long run. Because you're not living that lie, and you could ask people, you know, please pray for Cliff. We yeah. we need all the prayers we can get. I remember when we brought him, when we came back from taking him to that first rehab, I remember we called several of our friends. It was about, gosh, it was 10, 30, 11 at night, and we told them what we had done that day. Because, we, you know, we had decided on the way back this wasn't going to be a closed book that nobody could see. We were going to be open with it. We were going to ask everybody for their help, uh, their compassion. Uh, you know, I was worried about Chris. She was worried about me. We were really worried about our girls and and how it was going to impact them. And we just decided an open book was the best way to go about it. And so despite the fact that, you know, for two years we probably kept a closed book because we were in absolute denial, at that point we flipped to an open book and – uh, and we just came together as a family. We we fought this with him for ten years as a family. We did. I mean, that's what you have to do. We just we just. Even even Lucy, you know, Lucy yeah. was when this when this started. Lucy was really not old enough she to was understand. In the first grade when it started. And 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 then and she she basically grew up with this, with watching her brother, uh, turn into something that he had never been before. So we, we, we dealt with this as a family. We spent countless hours talking about it, 
Uh, we had counseling with them. We went to counseling. We went to family weeks with us at the rehabs. It, it was it was a it was a group effort for for ten years. They'd go with us no every question. weekend. Every time he would have could have visitation, the girls would go with us. Wow. Yeah, that says a lot for them. Yeah, it does. They love their brother. So the so the impact on on this, I mean, of just the you know get, getting in a place that you know seems to be working or that he's responding to. What's the emotions like? I mean, as far as like as a you know, I mean, is there ever a point of like, are you are you are you kidding me? Like, we're just, I mean, we're at we're at number seven now. I mean, just well, I, I guess I guess about the time that we started getting to that point of number six or seven, then we started dealing with with legal issues, trouble that he was getting into, uh, you know, getting caught in possession, things like that. And, you know, so then we were dealing with uh, working with the courts, trying to find the best places to go to him. And, you know, so I, I really our, our, our mode of thinking changed a lot, I guess, yeah, the we, last. I think before, you know, we went from being mad and then he was clean and we were so excited. And then, you know, the first rehab, you think it's all over and he's coming home and this is great. And then he relapses and you're mad. You think how could he do this to us? Yeah, I mean you have that, yeah, that thinking, think process of thinking like that, and even the girls were like, "He did what?" Well, that was just a way of life for us. It and was, then, and the and the girls, you know, they would be so happy, and we and it was great when we were all together. You know, we were just, I mean, sometimes one of the girls would just start crying because they were like, "This is great," you know, wow. our family's back together, and then. You know, they, they would go from being mad, and I would go from being mad, and then we'd go from being to get just wonderful. Everything was good. And then at the end, closer to the end, I, I, something just hit me, and I thought, you know, he might not be around for very long. I don't know if that was God preparing me or or just it was just obvious because of what he was putting in his body and what he was doing to himself and, you know, the, the road we were taking. And I talked to the girls about it. I said, you know, your brother is sick, and you see where we're going every month, and it just he's getting in trouble, and he just might not be here. Just remember that. We just need to love on him. We need to love him through all this. He needs us. He needs us. And I think, you know, that's what we tried to do, and, and I'm so glad we did that. I mean, you know, I, I look at these parents that are just so mad at their children, and and because they did this or did that, and, and I understand there needs to be consequences, but I'm just so glad that Cliff and I had the relationship we did. I mean, the night before, the very last night, I was with him. We ate dinner in Granville and Cliff and I and, and um, Big Cliff, and, you know, we hugged, and he told me he loved me, and it was just how, how I could not ask for a better night. Yeah. And he called me and said, Mom, I'm home. I love you. I enjoyed dinner. What more, what more could I ask for? Yeah. If it was going to go this way, I couldn't. We just had a great relationship. And it was because we had just changed our mindset. We weren't going to do this. I'm putting him out. I'm not going to have anything else to do with him. You know, he's cut off. Um, yeah. That was just our... And, and Cliff was... I have to give that to Cliff because I was really mad at times where I just really wanted to put him in the street. Yeah. I had just... He had disrupted enough of our life and I was mad at him and I was just couldn't believe that he had done this and I was tired yeah and my girls were tired and Cliff was tired yeah and he just I thought maybe if he just is alone out there maybe he can get it together but Cliff never he Cliff just he's too kind-hearted he just could not do that because if something happened he just could not live with himself and I get that I so get that yeah and you know, um, I, I guess the only thing that we didn't do was actually kick him out, and uh, uh, we we came we, close to it. We 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 got him put in jail. Uh, we allowed him to get put in jail. We allowed him to get a felony conviction, or he pleaded guilty to a felony. We did that in order to get him into drug court. Uh, we could have avoided that, but we uh, 
we wanted him to have the harshest consequences, but I, I always pulled up short of absolutely kicking him out and sending him walking by himself. I, 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 I could never bring myself to do that. I, we had a counselor that we went to, and he was a he was very much a tough love counselor. And he and I spent about an hour together talking about this issue, and and I, I just kept explaining to him my feelings and what I would have to live with if if you put him out and, and <laughs> right you hadn't been with him the last night and you know and and that counselor he that counselor told me he said you know I've got a whole different perspective on this now after talking to you yeah what was it like as far as preparing yourself? You know, you talk about having a talk with, with your daughters of, you know, th- this is what love needs to look like in this season of our lives. And knowing that that, that was a, a, a real threat and a real possibility after the road that you've, you've been down versus, you know, saying it and then the, the night or the morning that you get, that you get the phone call. Yeah, you know, you're never prepared for that phone call. You know, it did. In retrospect, it's, it all. You're in, you're in shock when you get that phone call you're, for you're, a long time. You're, but you have to just. I, I guess I took. I just was in shock and just knew I had to take control. And I think I was the one that Katie took control. Is what and the girls took control. But the the Chris and the girls took control. I was not. Um, I wasn't much help. I'll be honest. Uh, I, I was just in a state of shock. I, I I knew it had happened, but I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't. Even you, though you think about it every day too. Every night I laid my head down on my pillow. I thought, "What am, am I going to get that phone call? What's mm-hmm. going to happen tomorrow when I wake up? Or what's going to happen tonight?" I mean, we thought the only time you could really sleep was when he was in rehab. That's right. That was when you got your best night's sleep. That's right. Because you knew he was protected. He wasn't out there dealing drugs or getting drugs or using drugs. And we, uh, you know, we thought we were prepared because we talked about it so much that we might get that phone call that he could, you know, we, we, we just always dreamed that it would be a car wreck or, you know, a shooting or something like that. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it was different. It was just, you know, it was, it, it was the fact that he had been, he had been away from drugs for a little period of time because he'd been in rehab, and he comes out and he uses, and his body can't handle what he put in. It's, you know, and it was over in thirty seconds, I guess. But we, even though we kept saying and kept thinking that we were prepared for it. You're never prepared for it. You cannot be prepared for it. Just that loss is such a, just a gut feeling. It's, 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 it's a dark feeling. It's gut. You, you just go into a trance. You can't hear anything or see anything around you. All you can think of is he's gone. He is gone. I think it's, it's just interesting too, because of, of how many, you know, I mean, you, you really already spoke to it, but you think about the parents who have, you know, whether it's a calloused heart or they have, wherever they have just turned their attention to to try to shut it all out. And then, you know, but somebody now that has, that has been on both sides of that, you know, and still the importance of demonstrating love and, you know, and there's a way to, you know, hold them accountable, letting them, you know, receive consequences you know, but not shutting your heart off to them. You know, I think it's so interesting, too, because, you know, it, it just is somebody can think they have all the answers, but when somebody has lived it and walked it out and then to be able to give that. I, I, you know, I will never regret that we were a part of his life and, and, we, and we were a part of his life every day of his addiction. We lived it. We breathed it. It didn't mean we were always with him. There, there were times when he would go into these moods or whatever where we may not see him for two or three, four weeks, and we would check on him and we would know he was okay. 
but we, you know, there, there was a lot of distance that developed, but I'll never regret that we loved him the whole way through. He always knew we were there for him. You know, I, I look, I look back on, on his life. And even though 10 years of his 29 years was, was drug addiction, I still say it was the best 29 years that you could oh, ever yes. have with a kid. We were so well, blessed to have him for 29 years. Yeah. And it was, it was some tough years in there, but good outweigh the bad. It, it was tough, but, you know, it still was 29 great years. Yeah. So in the, in the, in the months, you know, that following this, I mean, when, when I think about y'all's family, you know, I just, I'm, I'm from Clarksdale, the majority of people that I talk to, Clarksdale's going to hell in a handbasket. It's not, you know, what it used to be. But yet, when I look at y'all's family, I mean, y'all are always winning, prospering, you know, like in the middle of that where there's no economic growth, there's, you know, there's heat and pecans that's going into Sam's Club or Amazon or whatever. And then, you know, you just figure out a way to, um, you know, and then you, you, you get hit with this tragedy um, that's something so foreign to, you know, anything that you've ever known. I mean, the culture of, of really of who y'all are and what's on your DNA. And then when it's this part of your life comes, like, what, what does this look like is, you know, is the, you know, in the months after and the, di- you know, what it does to your family dynamics. I think in, we, we got a lot stronger because of it. You know, we leaned on each other. We, we, we knew how much we loved him, and we all knew how much we had tried to do everything we could. Um, holidays were very hard. Holidays were extremely hard. We tried to get out of town during holidays and not do the same thing that we did just because it, they were just hard. They're still hard. They're still very hard. We get through them. We get through them now. It was, we 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 do we suffered through them last time, but we have friends that come, spend them with us. Yeah. Bring their children. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all, all, five all five of them, of them. <laughs> and a pregnant wife, and a pregnant wife. <laughs> yeah, that was. It, you know, it it's, you know, the years since we lost him, there've been good times and there've been bad times. You have good days and you have bad days. Some days you, I mean, you never forget about him, of course. Um, but some days you just have a bad day. You just, something, you'll hear a song or you'll hear somebody talk about something and you think, ah, I'll be in here and I'll hear you up there say something. I thought, I really wish Little Cliff would have heard that. I wonder if that would have clicked with him. Now I look out here and Friday night, listen to you and, talking to these guys and I want to stand up and say y'all are here you know my son did not get to listen to all this if he could have just been here and just listened and just you're so fortunate to be here to listen to this and you know Cliff never went to a faith-based rehab and it's right here in front of you it's just right in front of you and and I just it just upsets me to think I wish he, I mean, I hear that and I just wish he was, he, I wish he was, had been able to come here. I've said it many times. I think Cliff would be alive if he'd have come here. But, but that, you know, it didn't happen uh, in the, in the time that we've been connected with good land and then seeing what goes on here. You know, I, when I see these kids here and I see their attitude and their, they're, they're, they're buying into the program and buying into what it stands for and what it teaches. It's so diametrically different from what I would see when I would go to those 10 treatment centers that he went to. What I saw there was kids that were sitting in class, listening to somebody talk over their head, and then walk out the doors with nothing to show for it except for 30 days clean or 90 days clean. They had nothing else to show for it. You can talk about, well, they teach them about coping. They teach them about friends to hang with. That's that's fine, but that doesn't get you anywhere, in my opinion. If you don't walk out of a treatment center with something, something that you can say, I really got something there, then you're, you're, you're a recipe for disaster. That's, that's the way I look at it. 
Yeah. And I, I wish that Cliff had had an opportunity to go to a place like Good Landing, and I'm sure there are other others that are out there. But but I think that if he could have, he he had the, you know, we we raised Cliff and raised all our kids in a, in a Christian household, but we we never really got into dealing with him about you can find peace, you can find the answer to this if you'll just trust the Lord, if you'll pray, if you'll if you'll do the right things that the Bible says do, you can figure this out. We never got there with him because we didn't know how. And and you know, that's why we've tried to become involved in good landing is to help children get here and to help parents understand that this place and and a a good Christian-based treatment center will give the kids something to take home with them. Because if they don't have that, they might as well never have come. Yeah. The difference I saw in Cliff just after one month and then for him calling me and saying he wanted to stay. I mean, who calls their wife and tells them that they want to stay two more months in rehab? I mean, I didn't know. I had to come and see what was going on here. <laughs> that's but the difference that's I a different story. <laughs> was just amazing and just, and the difference it's made in our, our marriage, our life, and what he got here. I mean, you planted the seed, and then God and Cliff grew it together. It was just, it's it's a wonderful place. And, as you know, we love it. We don't want to stay away. We love these kids. Yeah. And we'll do anything just to try it, if we can help one person here. Yeah, and that's already happened. Many many lives have been impacted. And and so if y'all want to give a backstory on that, and again, you know, I go back to, I mean, I just talked about it in group this morning, whenever, um, and I jokingly, um, I think it was two Fridays ago, that there is now a stockbroker and an attorney slash farmer that has decided to become missionaries at some level. Mississippi missionaries? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, just how do we get here? Well, I, you know, I'll answer that because it, it it started with me and it started with 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 my problems that I developed over time. I, I I developed a problem with alcohol, and I'm one of those people that I went. I, I did go to another treatment center before I came to Good Landing. As I said earlier, I walked out with nothing to show for it other than 30 days of sobriety and a lot of book knowledge that didn't, didn't do me any good. During the course of, of, of my struggling with alcohol, my girls uh, felt like that Good Landing would be the place for me to come to. Um, we, we, had, we had helped uh, several young people come here. We felt like it was a great faith-based place, and they decided that I was going to come here. Uh, we were actually on our way to Florida on a vacation, and instead of going south, the plane came east and dropped me off, <laughs> much to my chagrin. And uh, and 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 I spent I spent ninety days here. When I came here, I came as Chris was saying. I came thinking I was going to spend twenty eight days, and I was going to be one and done. I was going to be out of here. And after about 10 days, I was, I remember I was sitting in church, church service on Friday night, and I was just looking at these kids, and, and, I, and I just saw what God was doing through them, and, and all of a sudden, he just started doing it through me. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't that it happened on Friday night at 8 o'clock. Don't get me wrong. That didn't happen. But... It, it was that church service when I saw what God was doing through them that that uh, I stood up and you you weren't here that night. I remember Charlie was here and he asked if anybody had anything to say and I've never been shy about saying anything. So I just stood up and said, "I'm staying." Uh, you know, you may want to run me off, but I said, "I'm I'm not going anywhere." So I committed that I was going to stay the full ninety days and. You know that's what I did. I, you know, it, it, people talk about 2020 being a such a horrific year. I came here July 1st. I spent 90 days, and then the rest of 2020 was the happiest three months of my life. And so, I, you know, I can honestly say that 2020 
was the greatest year of my life. Wow. I mean, I just, I loved every minute that I spent here. And then I loved every minute that I spent with my family. I had a new relationship with my girls, Chris, I call her one of my girls. Um, it, it, everything in our life just changed. And I don't know, we, you know, we just, of course, when I was here, uh, Chris was good enough. She she actually moved to Atlanta, and we rented her apartment, and she stayed there where she could see me on weekends, and she ended up helping out and doing some volunteering here. And (laughs) by the time we left, uh, you know, we 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 knew that we wanted to come back and help, and you know, so so what Chris was saying earlier is true. Uh, She tells me many times, you know, you must be a real crazy 64-year-old that nobody can understand because you're 64, you're recovered or recovering, whatever you want to call it, alcoholic, and you want to go back to rehab. Well, that's where we are. We've, you know, we're, we're back here. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm not – I mean, I, I would love to be a patient again. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I, I mean, I, I, I'd love <laughs> – I love being in our apartment with my wife, but I'd love to be in there with those five guys that I shared an apartment with when I was here for 90 days. I'd give anything to do that again. But uh, here we are. We're back. As Chris was saying, if we can just touch one kid's life while we're here, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a job well done. We don't, we don't have to touch 10 of them. We don't have to touch all of them. We don't, have to, they don't, we don't even have to meet all of them. If we can just touch one kid's life, then, then, then God will have worked through us, and that's what we want. Amen. It's so strong. Such a challenge. I know, I mean, Holly and I were talking about it this morning, just in our quiet time, and just, just thinking about, you know, just how easy it'd be to, you know, just sit back somewhere and, and you know, write checks or, you know, just say, hey, we'll pray and, and you know, and use all the, you know, the language or the rhetoric, but to leave what, you know, you know, is home and to say, I'm going to come back and, you know, give my life, you know, my time, my, you know, things that you've learned and, and just to be able to pour in and to invest in, you know, in the broken. It's just, um, it's unbelievable. There's a foundation. It, they, there's a foundation that we, we started when Little Cliff died um, I have an interesting story to say about that real quick. Okay. Um, we started that foundation a year. We got approved a year and a day um, after we started it, and that's when I called you. And we had a friend of mine call me, and they said, we need to send someone to rehab, and they want to go to Good Landing. And that was one year. You, you call, I called you and said, we have someone that wants to go um, to rehab, and they want to go to Good Landing. And that's when you told me, you said, well, you know, we, I opened this place because of Little Cliff which was our first our first patient, your first, well, what that came from us. Right? Yeah, right. Um, anyway, it was just so interesting. And then that's how we all became friends, remember? And yeah. It was just unbelievable. And I kept telling Cliff, there's something about that place. I really think we need to somehow try to get involved. Remember we, and we mm-hmm. kept, and you would come in town and we'd all go to call, have coffee and yeah. you brought Holly one day and it was just it's just interesting. I don't think it's by coincidence. I just think God put us here. Yeah. Well, you know, because the, the amazing thing to me, it, we probably, even though I knew you when you were young, you know, a lot younger than me, but I knew you. Uh, I knew your story. Uh, but Good Landing really wasn't on our radar at all until you came and visited us about a year after you had opened it and told us what you were doing and told us about Little Cliff being a stimulus for you to to take the move and do it and then then Chris and I just we we kept talking about good land and and Chris is right she kept saying there's something going on about this good landing thing and and we didn't know what it was we had no idea I said we I said look we and something I I cannot figure out what it is but I said we need to pray about this because I really feel like I, I'm getting this strong pull. And we and we and we wow. and we did see things that we really liked about Good Landing, but who would have ever thought that we would have started a foundation 
the good landing would have been one of the stimulus that got y'all to start good landing itself. Uh, our first, that, pay, our and, first client. And that I, would, that I would sink into alcoholism, you know, during that same time frame, and that then I would check myself into good landing for treatment at 63 years of age. I just never dreamed that I would be going to a treatment center with a bunch of young. I always dreamed that if I was going to one, it would be with older professionals and that type of thing. And here I am showing up at Good Landing as a patient after all this and then having the experience that I have. It's, it's a God thing. It is. I agree. There's no other way to orchestrate this or to try to manipulate a situation or anything, you know, and just to see his hand on it and to have y'all here to, to be able to hear your story, um, to understand about little Cliff's life and, um, and just what he's meant to, um, you know, so many people that, 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 that have never met him. It's just been an incredible, um, it's been an incredible time. Well, that's, you know, and, and that's why we started the foundation to touch kids that needed help. That's it. Good landing just became the centerpiece of it because of my experience here and because of the relationship that we've developed over the years and here we are we're here to stay <laughs> it's good stuff you might try to run us off but we're still here no to way stay. no way <laughs> <laughs> well i feel like there's there's so much more i think we're gonna have to do this again very soon but uh we enjoyed it yeah thank you guys so it's much been great for being thank on here you. great love y'all Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.